All right, buying a house or property, the most expensive purchases you're likely to make in your lifetime, and you should not do them lightly. Uh, For the first time in about 20 years, the Ontario government is updating the province's real estate rules, and that will... Uh, they say, improve our consumer protections and give the real estate industry more latitude to punish bad real estate agents and people that take advantage of people. So to get to the bottom of exactly what the changes mean and when they'll take place, Vaughn Palmer joins us, Chief Communication and Government Affairs Officer for the Toronto Real Estate Board, known as Tereb. Welcome to the show, Vaughn. Well, thanks, Kelly. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for being here for us. Now, the changes haven't been made in 20 years. Why did we need an update? Um, times have moved on, uh, Kelly. You may recall uh, back in 2002, that was pre-social media, and that was probably about five or six years after the Internet uh, became widespread. So, And when you look at real estate practices today, it's, it's a question of modernization. The, the tools that we use are mostly uh, electronic. Most of it is online, um, and uh, the laws haven't kept pace, and so it was time. All right, so maybe run through some of the changes that have been made. Um, there are a few. I, I think when you look at what the minister announced, and first of all, we welcome this. We worked very closely with uh, with the ministry uh, and with our members as well, uh, 55,000 in the GTA. There's about 86,000 registrants across the province. And there's uh, certain things that uh, were central to this exercise. One was consumer choice and consent. And in all the conversations we had, in every change that we make, it's all about consumer choice and having their consent. The second was uh, consumer protection. And, and, you know, some people call it higher professional standards in the business. Uh, We want, look, most of uh, realtors that we know of in our business, a lot of people tell you they like their realtor. You know, there are a few that break the rules, a few bad actors, and give the industry a bad name. And that's, we don't want that. Uh, If you look at the Real Estate Council of Ontario, in terms of complaints that they get, it's about 2% of registrants across the province, or about 1% of transactions. But that's 1% too many. Um, and so there's that whole umbrella about consumer protection. The third is business fairness. This is something that we've been calling for since 2005, to allow realtors to be able to incorporate their business. It's amazing that in 2019, uh, you know, they can't do that. Uh, six other provinces allow for that, and most industries in this province allow uh, business people to incorporate, but realtors can't do that unless you own the brokerage. But most people don't, the uh, salespeople. So those are uh, some of the key things that we addressed uh, in this in this package. Allowing agents to incorporate uh, personally, a lot of people criticize that and say that it will benefit those high earners that are looking to shelter earnings. What do you say to that? Well, it's, they have to understand what incorporation is all about. It's simply deferred revenue. When you, in any business, including our business, when you incorporate, you're not, it's not tax-free. All you're doing is at some point you will pay the tax. Uh, you, you shelter that within the, uh, the corporation, but it allows you to hire people. It allows you to invest in the business. That's why people incorporate. So, yes, it's uh, for people who with a higher income, but that's a, re- that's, that's, a, that's a point that you cannot withdraw that money from the uh, corporation and spend it. If you do, you get taxed like everyone else. And so it's actually business investment. It helps the economy. It hires people, and it allows business people to sort of plan for the retirement, because these, are, these, are these people are not part of uh, a retirement plan, as you get. They don't have a benefits package, and so this is how they plan for the retirement. So this is a win-win, and, and the government eventually gets the revenue, and it's not a lot of money in the grand scheme of things. We're speaking with Vaughn Palmer, who is with the Toronto Real Estate Board. Vaughn, you mentioned that these uh, updated rules for real estate 
uh, will increase consumer choice. How so? Um, there are a couple of things. We, for instance, when we started the conversation, a lot of people questioned whether or not um, a realtor can represent a buyer and a seller in a transaction. That's called well, double ending, correct? Correct, correct. But what we found when you talk to people is that, hang on a second, who's in the driver's seat? The consumer should make that choice. So, Kelly, if you are entering into a real estate transaction, I think you should be able to decide. As long as it's disclosure and your realtor says, look, here's who I represent. Kelly, what's your choice? Do you want this realtor to represent you? So that was a conversation about we don't decide, the consumer does. And if a consumer, I've been in transactions myself personally where I was a buyer and I bought from the realtor who had the listing. Why? Because I trusted the realtor. I had zero problems, zero issues with her representing the seller. I trusted her. I wanted to work with her. Yeah, but That's isn't it? Wait a minute. I just have to yeah. ask you something. And, and full disclosure here, my husband happens to be a broker. Sure. Okay. But don't you have to tell uh, the consumer? You have to legally. You you are under the rules of Treb. You have to let people know. I'm also representing the uh, the the seller here. So how is this changing the rules? Wouldn't isn't this just the way it always was? Or were you not able to represent? Um, well, a couple of things. Uh, people wanted to turn that, uh, to change that. But also, if you look at what the province has proposed, they're calling for better disclosure language, right? And so, so were you finding that people were abusing this and not using the correct language? And because you know they're taking advantage of the fact that you know people are they're emotional about this this I, purchase. I, I think it may have come from surveys of the data of consumers. I don't have those results. But the question is, was it clear? Is it clear in every circumstance in terms of the services that you get? So, for instance, if you get into um, a transaction where uh, the realtor represents both the buyer and the seller, is it clear enough in terms of the services that they provide to the seller, for instance, fiduciary duties, or to the buyer? So I think it's more of a better disclosure and clarity, but they've proposed certain changes when it comes to that. Um, but, so that but that's just one, right? I mean, and- Look at the. Sorry, go ahead. No, well, what I want to do is just keep, stick on this point of double ending. Okay. If you have to disclose it, uh, one of the changes to the rules also involves, you know, being able to, for Treb to be able to go after brokers that abuse their powers. Uh, so uh, Rico would be able to uh, find people that violate their rules. So I guess having this ability to, uh, you know, make it okay for double ending. And uh, if, if you find out that your realtor has hidden this fact, when it has to be crystal clear to you, it, now there are greater powers within the uh, RICO to go after them? Well, yeah, to clarify that point, uh, you, you put it best, it, it's a RICO enforcement. Right, the uh, Real Estate uh, Council yeah. of Ontario, Real sure. Council, uh, registrants be, uh, a license to the Real Estate Council and as a code of ethics. And, and to that point, and I know uh, that's sort of the term, uh, people say double-ended, but it's really, it's multiple representation. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a subtle difference in terms of the terminology. Uh, but RICO's powers, RICO does have greater powers. For instance, uh, the ability for RICO to revoke someone's license was very, very difficult. Difficult. Uh, it was a drawn-out process, and the province is proposing to make that easier. Uh, they're making it easier for RICO to be able to issue immediate fines for uh, uh, tra- uh, uh, breaches that are considered minor. Uh, and, and these are all good things. Uh, you do never want to protect people who are breaking the rules. You mm-hmm. never want to protect people who are so-called bad apples within the industry. So, you know, giving RICO these additional powers is a good thing. Uh, whether or not there's a problem, well, you know, it's very public. If you go into RICO, website, take a look at their annual report and look at the number of complaints because this is all publicly disclosed. Uh, it's interesting we're in 2017, uh, just shy of uh, 2,000 complaints were closed by RICO. 
57% of those complaints, there was no action, right? And so there's about 40% where action was taken. And then you ask the question, well, so what, what are the problem areas, if you have that question? Well, 41% is fairness, honesty, and integrity, that, that there was a failure in that regard. So that was a tough complaint. But we always have to keep this in perspective. There's 200 transactions, 200,000 transactions in the province every year. There's 86,000 registrants. So when you look at the fact that there's 2% of complaints against registrants and 1% of complaints uh, as a percentage of transactions, it's not a big number, but it's serious because we want that to be zero. And so people should not uh, sort of confuse us with there's a widespread problem within the industry. There's a lot of decent people in the industry, hardworking, that do a really good job for their clients. Uh, it's the 1% that we're trying to address here. Well, I think people want the regulator to be able to crack down on people that are uh, abusing systems, and people do take advantage of things. So I think that 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 is a good thing. It also instills uh, confidence in real estate agents. And I think now when you have, you know, online uh, competition like Purple Bricks and things like that, I'm sure you hate me bringing up that name, Uh, but people are talking about things like that. And you need to, uh, I guess, make sure that everybody's on the same page as far as the rules go so people know that they are making secure transactions when they use a realtor. Well, you know, you look at the name of the legislation, Trust in Real Estate Services. Uh, that was very deliberate, deliberate by the province. Uh, it's about, you know, dealing with people who are professionals, who are accountable, who have the knowledge. People should understand there's a code of ethics, right? So people, when you are licensed to sell real estate, you have to abide by a code of ethics. Now, by the way, so we should be clear, 86,000 registrants across the province, you don't have to belong to a real estate board. Uh, we have 55,000 members of the Toronto Real Estate Board. Uh, it's optional, but, but a lot of people do belong to real estate boards because uh, that's how you we provide a lot of high-quality services for them to be able to conduct their business. But I think people should understand that the reason why the province has gone with that name is to shine the spotlight on the fact that there is a code of ethics. It's a highly regulated business, and there's high standards. We want to raise that. We want to elevate the standards. And so, yeah, so people can have that trust in, in, in the person who represents them, the single largest transaction that you'll ever make. One of the biggest changes to the uh, rules here with the real estate uh, industry it, that the province is updating is the fact that under current rules, selling agents can they can tell you of a competing offer uh, that has been submitted if you are bidding on a property, but they can't disclose the monetary or conditions of those offers, which is so frustrating. Anyone who has been, you know, in the market in the last 10 years and has bought a house, I would, you could even go uh, back farther than 10 years, has probably had to deal with a competing offer. And so you're left in the dark wondering how high you go or do I waive this or waive that? People wanted to know what was going on. This new, um, the, the new legislation that's coming in will allow us greater transparency there. Can you get into the nitty-gritty of that? Well, you know, that's one of those uh, um, provisions where I mentioned consumer choice, right? Um, This is one of the things that we pointed out where ultimately it's a consumer's choice. In this case, uh, they're giving the seller uh, that ability to say, um, you know, I wish to disclose more in terms of the uh, content of the offer or not. And people should be clear on that point because I think you explained that very well, that right now under the current rules, uh, if we, if I have multiple offers, I'm selling my property. I can disclose the number of offers I've received, the number, but not the details of that offer. And there's a reason why, because it could uh, compromise uh, the consumer's privacy. Uh, it could compromise a negotiating position. 
Uh, we have to take a close look at this, right? Because it's half How does it compromise their privacy if I don't know who well, they let are? Me, let me explain that. Uh, it's, it's half a picture. So in this case, yeah, the seller has the choice. It's a seller's consent, which is good. This is a good thing. But we should have a conversation about the buyer. And this is important. When you look at privacy legislation in this country, you look at PIPEDA, um, uh, think about this, Kelly, you in a multiple offer situation, right? And you've, you're up against five other people. Um, that's fine if Kelly's okay and she wants to disclose uh, the contents of her offer or how much she's willing to pay. But you may have two or three others who uh, do not wish to do that, only because if they lose out on that offer, then they have to compete on a second offer and a third, likely against the same people if you're within that neighborhood. But now everyone knows what you're prepared to pay. Not everyone is on side with that because now you've compromised a negotiating position. I can outbid you the next time around, or I, at least I know what ballpark you're playing with. So that said, we have to have that conversation because we haven't addressed the buyer side. This addresses the seller side. So at least there's consent required. So the seller has to, just to get this crystal clear, with the new rules as far as the uh, real estate rules go for the province, the seller now has the discretion to say, okay, you release the information on how much the bid is with each um, bidder and and what the conditions are, or you don't. That's what was announced yesterday. Now, they haven't fleshed out the details yet. But uh, face value, that is what that is saying. But yeah. that's just putting, I mean, I get it, the seller's in the driver's seat, but it, it doesn't really give a huge advantage to the uh, bidders because the seller would want it to be blind, wouldn't they? Because then the people start getting into that, uh, oh, I'm going to lose out, I'm going to miss out category. It's, uh, well, you know, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out from transaction to, to, to transaction, but I still think that uh, we should address the buyer side, because yeah. Yeah, if I'm going in as a buyer, you know, uh, my question is, what are my rights, and uh, how does my consent factor in, uh, to your point? Yeah, you know, and then the seller really doesn't know if they're going to do better or worse, because, you know, I might look at somebody and say, okay, well, they're, they're I've got, I can go. 10,000 more and I'm going to get it and I'm going to put conditions on it and they're definitely going to go with mine. Well, yeah, it's really interesting what you just said where, you know, you, you can debate both sides of this issue where a lot of times people think that, um, for instance, if it was wide open disclosure, which, by the way, we uh, told the government that's a bad idea. Why? Uh, was the, uh, in terms of uh, no um, uh, offers being wide open. Yeah. Well, it's in terms of uh, uh, consumer privacy and consent, we said that... Yeah, but what if you put no names beside it? Well, you know, now you're getting into the the details, though, into the weeds. We don't we don't have those details in front of us. This hasn't been fleshed out. Right. But you, you, so you have to assume that uh, at face value, uh, if you disclose the contents of an offer, then it's out there, right? Um, so what we said was, let's be careful how we write the rules. If, for instance, you're saying uh, the current system, by the way, that says you disclose the number of offers, it's fine now. You can always disclose details if the parties are willing to do that. It's called consent. The problem arises when there is no consent. And our point was we have to be careful. You, know, you have to respect consumer choice and you have to respect uh, consumer privacy. Uh, so, the, but the question is this: uh, Here's where I was headed. It's really interesting where you know a lot of times people are looking for a reason to say control price inflation. They're concerned that well, if you know if you have multiple offers. People, uh, people should know what the other person is, is offering, and that will control the price that someone ultimately pays. That's not necessarily the case. You know, we can, we can sort of debate both extremes where we can say, if you and I were having a wide-open bidding process and I knew what you were willing to pay and yeah. the next person, 
we could, both of us can keep outbidding each other and technically end up paying more. So, you know, the jury's out on that point, right? So I think what people should understand is um, that may be a marketing practice, and that's fine. But if they're doing that thinking that, oh, this may then mean that I'll pay less, the jury's out on that point. That's, that's a question of demand and supply, right? That's what dictates ultimately what people pay uh, for, for a house. Vaughn, when do these new rules come into effect? Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're hopeful. I mean, this it's been a long time coming, and uh, now it's been introduced. Uh, we have to go through the committee process. There's going to be debates. Uh, people try and make amendments. Uh, we're hoping that uh, if we can get this thing resolved by the spring of next year, I mean, that's optimistic, but uh, that would be good. And I, I think the government is committed to uh, moving this uh, forward. So we're very hopeful. All right. Well, I appreciate your time. Thanks for filling us in, Vaughn. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Kelly. Cheers. Von Palmer, Chief Communication and Government Affairs Officer for the Toronto Real Estate Board.